There's that old saying that when you love what you do, you won't work a day in your life. And that is such bullcrap. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to probably the only podcast goofy enough to do a reverse interview, the Raw Safari Podcast. What does that mean? Well, today I'll be bringing you my interview with, well, no one, because today I'm the person being interviewed. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I am not great at self-promotion, and one of the hardest things for me to do on this podcast has been to open up to y'all about myself and my life and experiences. I have tried to do more and more of that over time, to build this as a community or a family or whatever, and I continue to work on it. But the truth is, I never feel super comfortable taking time out of an episode where you could learn some cool fact like that wombats poop in little squares to tell you something about little old me. But I find that, time and again, when people reach out to me about the podcast, they also want to find out more about the guy behind it. So, I came up with this fun idea, and shortly after doing so, I met Taylor Ballard. You may remember Taylor from just a few episodes ago as my first crazy fangirl moment. When we met and started talking, she had so many questions about me and who I am and how I do what I do that I knew I had found the perfect host for this show. So we went ahead and did a reverse interview with Taylor coming up with and asking the questions and me just being the guest on the Raw Safari podcast. I hope this episode helps y'all learn a little bit about who I am, what I do, what my life is like, and how I view my conservation mission. I also hope it encourages you to hit up patreon.com slash to support that mission, or check out some merch at rossafari.redbubble.com. Hey, had to cram one shameless plug in there. So, without further ado, here is my interview with, um, I mean, here is Taylor's interview with John Rossi, producer and host of the Rossafari Podcast. First thing I would really like to know is, so we know kind of the general of what you do now, and this is a part of what you do now along with being like a super awesome musician, but how did this idea truly get started? Like, what is it that you, what was that like just click moment of like, hey, this would be a cool thing to do? So there are two parts to Rossafari right now. There's the the Instagram account and then there's the um the podcast which is newer. So the Instagram account started a couple years ago now. It hasn't quite been 3 years. Um and it was just because I loved taking pictures of animals and I started to notice that I would go with friends to a to a zoo or aquarium or whatever and we would all be standing in a line taking the same picture of the same animal at the same time but i kept finding little ways where i would like realize the animal was doing something or about to do something and i would get like that perfect picture yeah. whereas everyone else had the the blurry monkey picture as i like to call <laughs> it where it's just a you know they have like five mouths 
And so I, I, I started getting some of these really good pictures and they became like my phone background and then my girlfriend's phone background and then some <laughs> friends wanted them. And um, so that's where I started the Instagram. But it was literally just like, hey, I like animals and I take cool phone pics. And then eventually I got a camera, not even a great one. It's not even a DSLR, but um, and I just people really seem to love them and people seem to connect with animals through them. And I've always loved animals and conservation. So I was like, oh, I could start making like informational posts mm -hmm. along with the pictures. Yeah. And it started growing that way. And people kept reaching out and telling me how much they were learning from me and how um, I was putting stuff in terms where they could learn it pretty easily. Uh, yeah. Interpretive, you know, speaking, if you will. And um, I... I had never thought about it that way, but I really liked that it was having that <laughs> effect. Um, and I, I like, I, I just remember then one day as, as I was getting more and more into zoos, I was like, you know, I keep meeting zookeepers and they are awesome and I want to learn more about this. I need to go find a podcast about this. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of assumed that this existed. <laughs> nope. And it does not. Yeah, no. And I, I, I downloaded, you know, some different ones. There are some great ones out there that are zookeepers specifically talking about animals right. or like one species each yeah. week or whatever, but there's nothing focusing on keepers and conservationists and then connecting that to animals. And I was like, oh, well, if there isn't one of these, maybe I should make one of these. And so that's where that idea came from. And it's just been going gangbusters ever since. Well, and I think the cool thing about it is, you know, while there are podcasts, like you said, about animals or, you know, specific species and things like that, there's nothing really from an outside perspective. And not, obviously, now you're definitely not an outside perspective, but that's where this started is just someone who had a passion for animals, a connection with animals, and you, you know, you wanted to talk about them, which is why I think that you are so successful like you have been is because you know how to just relay the information to people without nerding out too hard or getting too scientific like people. <laughs> people like me who are super obsessed with things can lose someone really quickly because they're like, uh, what are you talking about at this point? So I think that's something that, that that's, you know, super cool. But something you mentioned, and I'm like taking notes as you talk, because like I said, <laughs> I'm just so obsessed with what it is that you do and how you've come to do this is you know, you talked about how everyone else had like a blur of a picture, but that animal was so focused and connected with you. Um, so, you know, you bring a sense of the calmness to the animal and also to yourself. When is this something, is this something that you've always noticed or is it something that, you know, have you even always gone to zoos and noticed this or been with animals or had pets at home and noticed this kind of calmness or connectivity connection that you said that you had with animals? Where did that kind of start? So that's a that's a great question. Um, yeah, I've been going to zoos and aquariums my whole life, and I used to just call it being lucky because <laughs> I literally I would go and um, you know there was uh, for a long time there was a sea turtle named Calypso at the National Aquarium, mm -hmm. and um, Calypso had her hiding places and was often pretty hard to see and pretty hard to catch. And even when she would come up for air, she would oftentimes do it under this building that was built like over the tank a little bit, so you couldn't see her. And I never worried that I wasn't going to see Calypso, and I <laughs> never didn't see Calypso. And usually, Calypso at some point would be up near me, not just you know across mm -hmm. the pool. But yeah. I'm looking down on Calypso, and I was just like, "Oh, I'm I'm lucky." And um, yeah, as far as pets and stuff, uh, you know, there there's a 
um, <laughs> there's the story of my ex-wife really wanting a dog. And so we got that dog and I was very much not opposed to having a dog, but very much not interested in taking care of the right. dog either. Big responsibility. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Lexi quickly decided that, um, she was my dog. And, uh, from, from basically day one, she would, she would, she was a small little puppy. She's a chihuahua and she would, she would sleep on my shoulder. She was so small and she just would not leave me alone. And then, yeah, anytime I would go to a zoo wanting to see an animal, I usually would, uh, I would often find myself, you know, getting eye contact from them and, and feeling connected to them. And it wasn't really until I started talking to more keepers and becoming a little bit more brave and stuff that I, um, I would be told these sort. Oh, yeah, this this animal normally is is pretty nervous or whatever, but but seems to like you. And then when I started going behind the scenes and meeting animals, I, I've told you there have been a couple of times now where I have flat out been told this animal does not like men or does not like people that aren't their keeper. Yeah, Wilbur. And then they're yeah, yeah. And then they're hanging out <laughs> on my shoulder or crawling into my lap or whatever. And I'm like, okay, cool. So yeah, I think there is something there. Um, I don't know what it is, but I, I love it. I don't take it for granted. Mm -hmm. Every single time that it has happened, it surprises me. It's time for... Interrupting. 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 Interrupting, interrupting John. Mm. Hey, y'all. So I wanted to interrupt here and say that listening back to this part of the interview, I kind of feel that Taylor and I uh, were discussing the connection I have with animals and how I'm able to have the incredible experiences that I have with them. Um, we were using language that made it seem a little bit magical or mystical. Uh, as a science podcast, I feel it is important for me to clarify that this isn't magic. Just like other humans, animals respond to our body language, pheromones, tone of voice, and other signals we may or may not be aware of sending as we interact with them. We do not have a complete understanding of what all those signals might be, but it isn't magic, and the real science of animal behavior and communication is so much cooler than any supernatural explanation could be. I am also just very patient with animals and give them plenty of time to adjust to my presence while remaining calm. Being good with animals is a learned skill that everyone can improve with effort and practice, which is one of the coolest things about it. Okay, back to the interview. Do you have any advice on on how to how to make those moments happen? Uh, I feel like I feel like those moments are up to the animal. Um, honestly, and yeah. I feel like the best thing that you can do is just find a way to stay calm and stay in the moment. Um, you know, along with being a musician, I'm an actor and I'm, I'm not a very good one. I stumbled into it. <laughs> um, but one of the rules of acting, maybe the rule of acting is to be in the moment. And it's very hard for me because I always know what's coming next and I always am trying to anticipate how would my character look right now or whatever. Right. But in the moments where I'm able to get past that and live in the moment, I've had many really good actors be like, oh, dude, you were killing it tonight. You were acting so well. And I don't know why that's hard to do on stage, but not in person. But when I'm with an animal and it could be meeting one, it could be through the glass, it could be whatever – the times that I have those moments of connection are when I'm truly just there with that animal. Everything mm -hmm. else disappears. In my interview with Colleen Adams, she talks about how when you have a moment with an animal, you are that animal's world. And I would extend that to say that that animal can also become your world. Absolutely. And when that, and when that happens, they can tell. 
And I think a lot of people get so worried about life and everything else going <laughs> on. Um, and trust me, I get it. Um, but that I think animals can sense that too. I mean, mm -hmm. it's well documented that a lot of animals can tell if you are stressed, Absolutely. if you are scared. Um, and I think it goes further than that. I think they can tell if you're you know, in love, but it can't be like a fanboy, fangirl type thing. Right. It has to be like a genuine, like seeking connection type thing. Seeking connection. I like that. So that's what I'm going to do with my students in my classes now is make them seek a connection. I love, I love the way that you said that. Um, and so, you know, you kind of mentioned that moment that you're there with that animal, right? So whether it's in, you know, a podcast interview or you're just visiting the zoo, um, those connective moments. What does, what does just a normal day at the zoo look like for you? I think that, you know, so many of your listeners would just be interested in knowing how the heck this even happens. Like, you know, you have these really cool podcasts about a variety of different topics with, you know, these really cool keepers and people who are really high up in the world and what they do with all of these, you know, other side jobs. It's like, how do you even connect with these people to create those connective moments for yourself with those animals? Well, a big place uh, for that is Instagram, honestly. Uh, yeah. A lot of keepers are there. A lot of keepers want to build their profile because they know it's a great way to educate people that can't be to their zoo about their amazing animals. For sure. And so um, I, I started meeting a couple people there. And then fortunately, people like what I do. And so I'll interview one person who will then in the interview say, hey, I know this person and you should talk to them. Oh, and also this person. Oh my gosh, you would love this person. And oh, wait, what, what did you say your favorite animal is? Oh, let me hook you up with this person. And um, that's how a lot of it has happened. A lot of it is just chain reactions of yeah. people who can tell that I'm sincere and want to help the mission, which I can't even call it my mission because it's all of our mission. We all want to, you know, do conservation education and, and it's incredible. Um, but what a day at the zoo looks like for me kind of before all of this happened, because now it's kind of to the point where I can reach out and say, hey, I'm coming to the zoo. I'm doing the podcast, you know, and and they're, I'm coming in with that special treatment. Oh, um, yeah. I can't definitely. remember the last time I, I paid to go to a zoo, you know, like oh, I'm always like on how the list it, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 Um, and it's like, but before that, I think the trick was that you know, like I said, I would always seek connection with the animals. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I can't talk to the animals. I've tried, not Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> yeah, right. But the keepers are there. And most, I will say most, uh, of the keepers, even the shy non-people person keepers, of which Definitely there are, are plenty, <laughs> um, they are animal people. Mm -hmm. And if they see that you are passionate about their animal, mm -hmm. You can literally, even if they're having a bad day, even if they are not people, people, you can watch the switch turn when you go, hey, excuse me. Um, so I am madly in love with the Arctic fox that is sitting in front of me right now. Is it a boy or a girl? What's their name? What's their story? Tell me a thing. And I started doing that well before the podcast. And it really changed things. And at the zoos that I would go to a lot, like my local zoos, mm -hmm. keepers started knowing me and recognizing me. And I started getting better photos of some animals because the keepers, when they were feeding the animals, would recognize me and would turn them with their food so that I could get a better shot or That's hold them amazing. steady for a second just to help me out, you know, just, just because I had talked to them a couple times. And 
that's still my trick. I've just now I've got the podcast backing it up and and all of that. But even then, um, I have no fear talking to a keeper uh, because they're cool people. Yeah. And, you know, if you're honest and passionate um, about things, I was at the Chattanooga Zoo. Chattanooga. Yes, Chattanooga. People call and it Chattanooga. Yeah, I know. You should you should listen if you go back and listen to my my oh, Chattanooga Zoo podcast. Said, Why I, don't people call it Chattanooga? Yep. And I was literally screaming in my car. Hashtag Chattanooga. <laughs> we call it Chattanooga. <laughs> I thought I was so creative. Oh well, but when I was there, I had interviews with three keepers. Okay, so mm-hmm. met a bunch of animals, had a great time. Day was done, right? And then I walked into the desert building where they have their fennec foxes. God, and are I they saw. Amazing? Oh, so amazing. And I saw another keeper and I was like, hi, I'm John. I'm obsessed with fennec foxes. How are you? What's up? Blah, blah, blah. And I got to go and meet that fennec fox. And that's Autumn, who was then later on the podcast talking about them. Mm -hmm. But she didn't know me as the podcaster. She wasn't part of my day. I had already met more animals than anyone has any right to meet in any given day. But because I was passionate about her animal and because I wasn't, you know, weird about it, but was seeking genuine connection, yeah. I got to go hang out with a fennec fox. And Which that was really cool. Which is honestly so cool to say. The fennec foxes at Chattanooga are freaking amazing. So good. They're so, so good. cool. I'm... And they're just like a super fun species to watch too. Not super known really cool. Um, and you know, what I take from this whole conversation that we've had, you know, like the one that we had when we did meet, um, at Nashville zoo is that there's so much that people can learn from listening to your podcast. You know, you, you meet cool keepers, cool animal facts. You learn about zootrition and all of these different kind of side hustles that, that people have in order to support what they're so passionate about. But for me, when I listen to your podcast, I I just, I have the takeaway of just ask, be open, talk to people. And I think that that's something that, you know, the normal listener who isn't necessarily connected to these species is, is going to take away from this is just the importance of asking, of being open and not being afraid to just be like, I love this animal so much and, and see where it can go because you know, we talked about those those connective moments that people have with animals and that you just seem to naturally be lucky enough to to have with, with all kinds of amazing species. But in order to form that, you know, you have to be open to it. And so something that I take from your podcast and I definitely want other listeners to know is that you need to ask and you you need to be like a raw safari in your own right and just go up to these keepers because we want to talk. We definitely want to express all of these really cool things that that we love about our species and that we love about our worlds. But sometimes it takes someone like you to, like you said, make those keepers who aren't necessarily, they're not people people, but they're animal people to open up and, and be vulnerable and excited about this information because that's how we, we all change the world. And I think just what you're doing is absolutely phenomenal. Um, Thank you. I do want to do one quick follow-up to that because I agree with you. Just ask is real important, but it can't be demand and it can't be ask for a specific thing. To this day, I've only ever asked for a couple of specific things and they are from keepers that I have already gotten to know. And I always preface it with like, look, I know this might not be a thing and that's fine. It's cool, whatever. Um, 
And I've had, you know, I have, especially with COVID, there have been things that I've been denied that I really want to do. Yeah. I would say more that they've been delayed because once this is over, I, I think those things will get to happen. Um, but I'm never upset about it. And a lot of times when I ask, it's not like like going back to Chattazuga. It's not like I said, can I meet a Fennec Fox? Right. What I did was I said, tell me about your Fennecs. Tell me about no, this. Yeah, I was absolutely. engaged. And then I was, I did say at one point, I was like, oh, you're so lucky to get to, to cuddle them or something like that, where it's clearly asking, but also not, and that it gives them a good out. And that's when Autumn was like, well, and, <laughs> you know, we got to go back. And there's a huge difference, I think, in that than there is in being like, you should let my kid meet your panda, which I have seen Absolutely. or something like that. Um let let the keepers decide. Ask about what you're interested in, not what you want to do. I definitely right. have had experiences. I had, um, when I was working at Zoo Atlanta, I did have a family come up to me and they were like, well, we want to ride the elephants. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> what, you want to do what now? We want to ride them. We want to, we want to ride them right now. We see people do it in, on videos and Facebook. And I'm like, that is absolutely not how we work here. Um, you can't, you know, these animals, you know, like you said, are not here for your entertainment. It's not so, oh, I can pet them or I can do this or do that. And that's not why you do what you do. But they're here to be representative of their wild counterparts so that people can have those connection moments. But you definitely have to be respectful of that species in order to connect with them in, that, in, the, in the way that you do. I mean, because I will say even as someone who has been in this world for so long, I am extremely jealous of you and what <laughs> and what you're able to do. I mean, you meet so many amazing people and animals and and just what is that like? How does that feel knowing that you go to so many places and even before, you know, you had like a super successful podcast with lots of listeners who are so obsessed with you, like me. <laughs> before you had all of us, you know, listening to you and following you you still had this confidence to just be open to the situation and, and were able to receive all of these really incredible interactions. And what is that like? Uh, it's terrifying. Sometimes. <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie. I, you know, you, you mentioned something earlier and you said that I, I started off as an outsider and I'm not one now, but no, I am. Maybe the zoo world would say that I'm not. No, no. But in my <laughs> mind, I still say this on the podcast all the time. Someone will be explaining something to me and I say, yo, uh, I'm a drummer. Can you make that? A, <laughs> like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about right now. I literally just got a used textbook uh, on zookeeping. Because I want to start what? learning more about it. Yeah, because I don't I don't know. I'm in the world. I'm in the conservation world for sure. Right. And I, I do this and I, I'm proud of that. But I think that if I do this for the next 50 years, I will always feel like an outsider. Because I didn't come up in it. And because I do have another passion and another job and all of that. You know what I mean? Um, and so I take every one of those moments like it is the last one that is ever going to happen. Oh my gosh, you're going to make me tear up. I'm not even kidding. Uh, I, I'm about to, if, I, if that doesn't, because let me tell you, today I was going back and editing some older photos. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was at the Columbus Zoo recently, I've had a bunch of different cool experiences there. And one time I got to go back and meet Zhang, who is an 18-year-old red panda, which is Oh my so, gosh. I know. And his sister was Mei Lin, who is the panda at Philly that – 
made me fall in love with red pandas. I, I was not obsessed with the species until about, you know, four years ago. And um, I never got to meet May. She passed shortly after I saw her. But she changed everything. And Zhang is her brother. Mm-hmm. And so I got the nerve to ask one of the keepers and I explained the whole story. And and like I said, normally I don't ask to do something. Normally I just tell the story. But because he is older than dirt and because I knew that I was on a you know borrowed time, I asked if we could go back and meet, meet Zhang and got to. And this was a while ago now. And today I was editing the photos from that trip because I am very behind on my photo editing <laughs> because of the podcast. And I started tearing up looking at those pictures. And, you know, Zhang's still around. It's not like he's died since then. It wasn't like one of those types of things. And I have literally been hands-on with 13 red pandas, I think, since then. It's, oh it's been a God. good couple of weeks. And um, even so, just looking at the picture and remembering how special that moment was, was amazing. And I kept so many photos that are basically exactly the same picture over and over and over again because I couldn't bring myself <laughs> to delete them because he is the most special boy. But then when I'm going through in a little bit and editing the photos from when I met, um, you know, the Cincy pandas or the on-exhibit Columbus pandas, uh, I- I'm going to get really emotional about that, too. That's one of the reasons that I'm so far behind on the editing is it's hard to delete photos. Yeah. And it's hard to be sitting at home going back to those moments and not feeling just all the emotions. No, I completely – I have – over 16,000 photos, over 2,000 videos on my phone. And like you said, lots of them, are, they're just the same ones because it's like <laughs> the moment that you get to share with an animal, you know, it doesn't matter if it's like just like a yellow belly slider turtle that you could see in your backyard or something like a red panda that's so exotic. It's that they allow you to have that moment with them. And I think that that's the power of an animal. And I think that that's something that you capture so amazingly in your photos. So creating those moments, something that you think about when someone else is answering all the questions. Uh, So yes and no, which is not a great answer. But um, let me tell you what I mean. Uh, No, I do not try to create those moments. However, I I, I do my podcast like I do an animal encounter. Mm -hmm. Um. You are the only person in the world right now. My phone is is muted. And I was actually just going to try to look up a quote real quick. I opted not to. But um, I, I just saw a full page of, of texts and emails and stuff, and I didn't even glance at them. Those people don't exist right now. Right now, it's you and me. And so I try to create those moments in the same way that I create them with animals by having that complete engagement. And sometimes I fail at that. And when I do, they're my worst episodes. And I, I can tell. Um, but I don't try to, like, I don't know what my podcast is going to be when I start the interview usually, even when, even when it's really obvious what it's going to be. My Red Panda Network interview was very clearly going to be me asking Terrence all about what in the heck Red Panda Network does to inform people about it, right? That was clearly going to be what the interview was going to be. That said, I didn't know how we were going to get there. I didn't know how that was going to happen. And uh, he had mentioned to me that he was a drummer. And so early on when it felt like a very stilted, like almost prepared interview to me, uh, not on Terrence's part, but I think I was a little nervous because Red Panda Network means so much to me. Yeah, as as it does everyone. Right, right. Um, But but when that happened, 
you know, I started talking to him about drumming because Terrence happens to be a drummer. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to get past everything and just connect on that level. So finding, finding that connection authentically is really important to me. Um, sometimes I prepare questions. Rarely do I use them. Uh, it's mostly if I'm talking to someone who is not a talker. Sometimes with people that I know are good talkers, like with you, I'm not prepping. I we've already talked. I know you can talk. I just did a second interview with Colleen Adams, and oh my gosh, she's was, amazing! She's Thank amazing. You also, for introducing me to her. Yeah, of course. And there's no no reason to prep because she's amazing, and I can listen to her talk all day. And we're friends, so you know, ask a question or two, and just kind of let it flow. And um, I find that when I do that. I usually find questions that are the best questions of the interview. And I can usually tell because a lot of times people say, oh my gosh, that's such a good question. I've never <laughs> thought about it. But it, it's all based on what they're saying. So staying in the moment is is how I try to make those moments. But I don't intentionally like, what can I ask this person to have a moment with them? I think that's so cool because, you know, as someone who – and okay, can I just like for a second go over how we even met? Because as someone who is like an avid obsessor over Raw Safari, like followed your Instagram, literally was listening to your podcast as I was walking to meet Lauren at the Kangaroo exhibit, like had you like on my screen in my ears and then just turn around and you know, you're there as someone who's an avid listener like I am you would think that, oh, wow, like he goes in, he knows what animal he's talking about. He knows what he's trying to get. And so I think that it's really cool that it, it's so organic. And I think that speaks to even more of who you are as a person and what you're doing now. And like the significance of it is just like, it's to be there and to be open to things and into allowing for those things to happen. Um, you know, and with all that being said is, since you don't, I don't know, like, since you don't go in planning things, do you plan for the future with Raw Safari? Do you, do you have goals and, and dreams and, and kind of a vision of where you would like to be? So, yes, early on, especially, I had all kinds of goals. If I could hit um, 200 downloads a month, I thought I would be uh, killing the game. I would be so proud of that. And I, I blew past that in like a week. It was insane. Um, and so right now my goals are very, um, undefined because I'm still dealing with the fact the podcast, as we're recording this, it's November 23rd, the four month birthday of the podcast is today. It's Happy only been out. Podcast anniversary. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Jake's episode dropped four months ago today. And if you would have told me that in four months, I would be hitting the numbers that I'm hitting, making the connections that I'm making, have talked to people uh, that are just, like you said, just at the top of, of the industry, yeah. you know, um, as well as bringing attention to people who no one, maybe people that no one have ever heard of, but um, are amazing and have those. I, I love those stories just as much as I do, maybe even more than I do sometimes when I sit down with the big names, because... Um, Everyone in this industry is incredible. Um, Completely agree. But if if you would have told me that, I would have laughed. And so now I'm I'm trying to figure it out. I, uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely I, I laugh at myself. I would love to monetize it a little bit. I don't 
want to necessarily even profit profit off of it, but right now it costs me money to do the podcast. Yeah. Um, and I have Patreon. The world does. Oh, of course. Well, and I was going to say, and that's the irony is that I have Patreon set up, but my main audience is zookeepers who make way less money than they should, and yep. setting something up like that is really hard for them to do. An extra, you know, even three bucks a month can be a big commitment. Yep. So. I'm trying to figure some of that out. Um, but, you know, something happened to me recently, and you were a part of this. Um, yeah, when, when we met, you literally, um, it, it was a full-on fangirl moment. Like, uh, Lauren no, was introducing I us, was, like, and you screamed. Like, oh my yeah. God. yeah, it was amazing. It was hilarious. And I was like, well, all right. Um, <laughs> and more of the keepers that I've been talking to now know me know the name, know that there's going to be a Rasafari poop story coming up at the end of the episode, all that kind of stuff. And more and more of these people have told me that, um, you know, what that they think that what I'm doing is important and matters. Oh, absolutely. And I guess I've always felt that way internally, but hearing it from other people is a lot in a good way. It's, it's amazing. But so now the goal for Rasafari is to not let those people down. And so now it is my job to figure out how to make it more important and make it do bigger things. Well, the the chills, goosebumps, goose pimples, whatever the listener wants to call them, and the tears forming in my eyes are a little bit embarrassing because it's like, we literally had like pretzel and some nachos together, like sitting on a tiny bench. It was a good pretzel, by the way. You know, it's just, it's so overwhelming, but it's also hearing you say it like that, a lot of pressure, right? Like, how do you, and I, you know, definitely from my perspective, I don't want to to put that pressure on you because I'm someone who I've like been crushed under it my entire life of like, how do I make people feel the way I feel and see the things that I see and realize the importance of, of what I think is important. And it's like maddening. So now that you are, like you said, you know, your four month anniversary, um, how do you, how do you kind of deal with that? This is like super fast rise to popularity and, and to people like me who like fangirl literally like over you, how do you kind of, how do you deal with that pressure? I guess. Um, so that's the fun part about being a professional musician. Um, even though I'm by no means famous and nobody, you know, knows my name from that world outside of in that world. Um, I go out and play for 5,000 people some nights and, and two to 3,000 people a lot of nights. And it is my firm belief that every note should be right, that those people spend a lot of money to come and see us do what we do. And so, um, and also the, the industry, the, the entertainment industry is insanely competitive. Right. There are millions of people that that would happily take my job. Um and so I've been living under that kind of pressure my whole life. I thrive on it. I do well with it. It it encourages me. Um and so yeah, every time that I'm I do feel even slightly overwhelmed by it, 
I'll just be like, no, 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 you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do it. What, what else can we do? Uh, maybe I'll just go and throw up an ad for the podcast on my Instagram, just for my followers. Hey, don't forget to go download the latest episode. Or are you caught up? Because there are some cool episodes coming. I throw a bunch of cool photos up and hope that people notice and hope that people share. And uh, I don't know. It just it drives me to keep going. You know, there are, there are mornings. I am a night owl. I am a real night owl. Oh my god, um, I can so relate. Yeah. Oh, and working at a zoo must be very challenging. Um, I sleep like maybe two hours a night. <laughs> nice, nice. And yeah, and I totally get that. And so for me, like there are even times that I'll be like, ah, should I get up and go to a zoo? I don't want to get up and go to a zoo. And it's not like it's not like I have a, an interview or anything. I'm just a normal zoo day. But then I'll think, oh, but what if I go there and do a Rasafari live? And then more people donate money to Red Panda Network. All right, cool. And that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, like literally when I probably should be asleep. But, you know, um, yeah, no, I, I like the pressure. Um, it's it's scary occasionally. Uh, I do. I really want this thing to be amazing. Um, and I don't know what that means yet. And also <laughs> the most interesting thing to me is that as a drummer, I've never done something all by myself before. Yeah. You know, um, I can't, I can't go and do a solo show. I can't, you know, go and record an album by myself. There, there's gotta be a singer or a guitarist or a pianist or something, you know? Right. And so Rasafari is the first endeavor I've ever taken on in my life. That's really just me. Yeah. I've had some help with, uh, you know, some, some, you know, Zoe listens to it and, and make sure that I'm not screwing up the science side of things. And, uh, my buddy Nate lets me use a song that he wrote and re-recorded together as, as the theme song. And I have some other musician friends working on some cool stuff for down the road. Um, but that's all still coming from me thinking, Hey, let's do this. And I do all the final editing and every single thing goes through me. And, um, it's my first time ever doing something like that and it seems to be working. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, gosh, you're just like so multifaceted. And I think that's so cool that, like you said, this is something that costs you money to do, even though you do have fangirls like me (laughs) and I'm sure other people who, you know, when they hear who you are and what you're doing, they're like, oh my God, I know who you are. Even though you know, there's all of those components. It's still something that costs you money and you do it because you're passionate about it. You do it because you think it's important. And so I just want to use this minute as like a side note to say anyone who's listening, make sure to donate um, your Patreon's amazing and on all of the kind of fundraisers that you have. Because I think it's really cool that, that this is something that you're just passionate enough to pursue on your own and to do on your own. Um, if this is something that hadn't been so popular to start with would you still have continued doing it like I don't know for me it's like I want to know did you go to a zoo all the time and just spend a day there before it was something that was also really successful oh yeah I mean I've been to 137 zoos aquariums rescues and rehabs uh so far and um I mean most of those were well before the podcast. Um, I, I love it. And so it's kind of funny because honestly, there aren't a lot of stats out there for podcasts. I can't tell you how 
well-liked my podcast is compared to another podcast. Um, there are certain places where you can look for like certain providers. Like I could compare myself to other science podcasts on Apple podcasts, but I also know that a bunch of my downloads don't come from there. So it wouldn't be helpful. Um, so I remember early on, I was getting about a hundred downloads a week, fairly early. And, um, I was kicking myself and saying, I'm doing a horrible job and no one likes this thing. And, and, um, you know, that's such a small number. And then I started to talk to some friends that have podcasts who Mm -hmm. were getting 15 to 20 downloads a week and were really proud that they had gotten to that number. (laughs) And, and I was like, Oh, cool. And then I, I read on uh, buzzsprout, which does my hosting that if you can have 200 downloads, um, I think it was 200 downloads a week. Uh, you're in the top 50% of all podcasts. And that's everything from the celebrity podcasts that get millions to, um, you know, well, less than that. And I blew past that number. And I was like, oh, cool. Okay, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. <laughs> yeah. um, but even now, any single day that I have a low podcast download amount. So obviously I release my episodes on Tuesday and Thursday Mm -hmm. and those are my big days. And then usually Wednesday in between is pretty good. Usually Friday, but by the time like Monday rolls around, most people have, have downloaded my episodes. And so, you know, I might have a Monday where only nine or 10 people, I I think today uh, we're recording this on a Monday. And I think uh, last time I looked only 10 people had downloaded episodes today. And I'll be like, oh, everybody hates your podcast. And no, no, it's fine. Everything's fine. Wait, wait. <laughs> I do have – so I do have a question about that. As someone who – you know, I was one of the only people in the office today, so I get control of the Bluetooth. And I was just, like, streaming your episodes. I don't necessarily know if I downloaded them because I was working. And it's like your voice is also, like, really calming Along with like the occasional animal fact that, that my brain absorbs, I'm like, I just need to stream. Like, you're definitely one of my background podcasts, too. Um, and so, is that different that I stream them versus downloading them? No, although I think it takes longer for the stats to show up. I'm not sure about that, but I, I, I don't think I can see it quite in real time. But no, it still helps and it still looks great. And, and, is is um yeah for anybody who's listening to this um download stream all of those things uh it it actually makes a difference what's your life um like outside of the zoo world like outside of your podcast what are you doing i think that would be something that would be interesting because people know that you go i mean they they know that you're a drummer but like really what is it like if you're not working on the podcast kind of thing Sure. So um, basically, you know, as a drummer and and music director and actor and all the things that I do, if I'm on tour, it's very structured. Uh, I get on a bus at some point in the morning and then we go to the next city and we have some time to kill, which is when I usually run to a zoo. And then we go in for sound check and I run sound check and then I put on my little costume and I go play the drums. And then after that um, is a mixture of, yeah, is a mixture of free time or, um, you know, since I'm the music director, if anything happened, I have to send out notes to people and all of that kind of stuff, do the, the boss stuff. <laughs> um, But then, you know, if I'm not on tour or if I'm in tour or on tour in one space for a while and just sitting down or if I'm at a regional theater or not working, my time is my own. 
if I have a show, cool. But outside of that, it's whatever. Um, I woke up today and I wanted to finish a new podcast episode and I didn't want to do it right away. So I stayed in my pajamas and I played some video games and I ate some breakfast and it was fantastic. And at some point around like 2 p.m., I was like, I'm ready to start my work day now. And I did. And I finished that episode and I prepped for tonight and I prepped for another interview I'm doing tonight. And I helped some friends with some things and I promoted my current episode. I did all those things. But yeah, around two o'clock when I felt like doing it. Yeah, on your own time. Games. Yeah. Yeah. Other times I wake up at like 10 a.m. and I'm like, let's go. <laughs> So, no, yeah, I think it's, I, I like being my own boss. Yeah, I think I think that's something that's really cool. And I definitely could get the sense that just talking to you about the podcast that you definitely had, like you said, complete control for the first time over something that was just yours. Um, but I didn't know so much if it was like that in your in your every day to day life. But it sounds like you are just a creative in every aspect of your life, which is is really cool, and it shows definitely in your work with the podcast. Well, thank you. So you said that you had been to, and I don't know if I wrote the number down wrong. I do have numeric dyslexia. Was it 137 or 167? 130. It's either six or seven. That I can't remember. It's 136 or 137. So 136 or 137 zoos, aquarium, conservation institutions. Of that massive number, which I can't even wrap my head around, it's absolutely insane. Um, of that number, how many have you um, used as an opportunity to create a podcast or to create some kind of social connection for other people? Um, honestly, not many because uh, I started the podcast in COVID. And so zoos were closed for probably half the life of my podcast. Um uh, most of that has been unconnected, but now it's getting to the point where now I'm starting to make those connections. So my interview with Christy Nuss from Columbus comes entirely from being at the Columbus Zoo and meeting Christy and getting to know her and becoming a, a friend of hers. And, um, you know, when I interviewed Jake uh, at Nashville, that was just through um, over Zoom. He was recommended to me. But then he introduced me to a bunch of people. And then, you know, obviously that's how you you and I got to meet, not through yeah. Jake even, but through Lauren, because I met Lauren through people through there. Like all the connections are starting to pay off now, but it's still very new to me to have that happening um, just because of COVID. COVID sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. COVID definitely does suck so much. I'm I'm ready for some semblance of a normal life. And I mean, for me, it's like, all of my programs I'm teaching are virtual. And while I think COVID has been a blessing to conservation education and, and how we present that, it's still kind of sucky not to be able to, to have that like physical connection. I think that more than conservation education needs, I need as a human. Um, so COVID definitely sucks. But, uh, you know, another question that I had as you were, you were kind of talking, because like I said, I am taking notes is, um, how do you choose what zoos you go to? I know that you, you've mentioned that you're a musician and that you travel a lot in, in things, but how does that impact what zoos you go to? Do you go to zoos that are not necessarily a part of your normal job in that area that you're in for your normal job? Um, yeah. So 
uh, obviously when I'm on tour or when I'm playing um, at what's called a regional theater, which means I'll go to one city and sit down for four or six or eight weeks, something like that, um, then I'm going to hit up everything that I can in the area. <laughs> and the other part of that is that living on a tour bus as much as I do, travel is not a big deal to me, even when I'm doing it on my own. So I talk to people who are like, oh, yeah, I've, you know, I never drive more than two hours. And I will happily drive eight, 10, 12 hours. 12 is around the limit in a single day to go do something. So if I'm at a, at a place where, you know, I have two days off and I'm able to rent a car and drive four hours one day and see a zoo, then drive four hours after that the same day, get to a town, wake up the next day and see their zoo, and then drive the eight hours back, I will do that. Living and so, dream. oh yeah, 100%. And I mean, I have now played all 48 states other than Alaska and Hawaii. So um, lots of opportunities have presented themselves, but also sometimes they don't. I, I've played Phoenix three times and have not been able to make it to the zoo there just because of scheduling issues, which is a real bummer because it looks like a really nice zoo and I want to go. But um, but no, but I go out of my way. I, I remember one time um, in Toledo, I really wanted to go to the Toledo Zoo. I had heard it was great. And when my tour bus pulled up to the hotel, I already had an Uber sitting waiting for me. <laughs> And I told my company manager, hey, just leave my key at the desk. And then I was like, no, wait, 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 wait. I have a, I have a suitcase. Okay, give me my key. And I ran to my room while the Uber was waiting. And I threw everything in my room and just ran back to the Uber, got to the Toledo Zoo. I had two hours until I had to be at Soundcheck. So I basically jogged through the zoo, seeing, you know, <laughs> stop, stopping at exhibits when I could, and then jogging the rest of the time and, uh, you know, judging what animals I wanted to see more and, and less, and then ran back outside and got my Uber. And of course, you always have to make sure there's enough time in case there's not an Uber or something like that. Yeah. And took the Uber right to Soundcheck and what? walked in the door a sweaty mess with like three minutes to go. And I was like, Hey y'all, I'm here. All right, cool. Uh, all right. We're going to start with blue suede shoes. All right, cool. All right, cool. And then went to my dressing room afterwards and toweled off and did a show. And, you know, I didn't even see the inside of that hotel room for more than a minute until after the show, but I needed to get to that zoo. And so I did. Okay, I just need to like take a second to digest that entire story because <laughs> how do you get the energy first of all? Like that is animals and drumming are my two favorite things. So the ability to, you know, go to the Toledo Zoo which is known for its its red pandas, although I don't think I was that into them back then actually, but and is one of the few zoos in the country that has a sea turtle, which is another one of my favorite animals. Um of course I was going to do that. Nothing could stop me. And and then drumming is, you know, has been my everything my whole life. And yeah. so, yeah, that's how. When you're really passionate. Okay, so there's that old saying that when you love what you do, you won't work a day in your life. And that is such bull crap because I work so hard. I work <laughs> at my music. I work at this podcast. I work – I am constantly doing work. That said – I am doing work that I truly love and that really matters and that passion goes Absolutely. a long way. Yeah. I can do something that I am passionate about all day and night and not feel tired. 
And then, you know, I have one little task to do the next day. And I'm like, I don't want to. I'm, <laughs> I'm so sleepy. <laughs> you know, we've talked about a lot. and We've gone into different things from the technicalities, the logistics, and, and then kind of deeper psychology of things. But ultimately, I think I kind of want to round this out with what is your message to people, not as Ross Safari, but as John Rossi, who you are from the time you're born to the time, the time that you're in now? Like, what is your message to people? What is it that you want people to know about you and that you want to communicate to people? Because I think that's something that's so important. That's something I would love to know for sure, too. Find your passion and find your niche are my two big things. Um, it's not drumming in animals uh, for everyone, and that's fine. It's whatever it is, though. I, I believe that so many people in our country, in our world, are so miserable so much of the time yeah, because they don't have a passion or they don't pursue it. And I think if you do that, and especially if you can do that in a unique way, um, then you'll have something special that is uniquely yours and uniquely you and that no one can take away from you. And, you know, coming up in the, the music world, there were not a whole lot of people who believed that I would succeed, even when I was starting to succeed. The number one question I still get is, so when are you going to get a real job? And it's like, yeah. wow, seven national tours later. Cool. All right. Um, <laughs> and and now, you know, same thing with the podcast. Oh, that's that's cute. But why do you spend so much time on it? Um, but if it's truly something that you cannot picture not doing. And if it's truly something you're passionate about, then no one can take it away from you. And, you know, one thing that I found really interesting was for a long time now, I've been wondering if I wanted to try to, uh, before I started the podcast, man, do I want to become a zookeeper? Do I want to get into Con Ed in, the, in, the, in a zoo, you know, yeah. walk away from drumming, walk away from touring because I am so passionate about it. But when I started to think about it, even though the idea of doing those things seemed cool. The idea of leaving drumming hurt my soul. Yeah. And then when COVID hit and all of the gigs disappeared, it physically has affected me. It affected my mental health. Mm -hmm. um, I am a stress eater. I have gained a ton of weight over that time because I lost my passion. Like, yeah. And I found ways to start to get it back. But early on, it was, it was bad. Yeah. And, um, and I think that, you know, having a passion and finding your niche in the world are things that can't be taken away. I mean, I, I say that I, I lost it with, with uh, COVID, but I didn't. I just had to find a way to adjust and start doing like remote recording sessions for drumming and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, so it was the realization that I couldn't walk away from drumming that made me yet, uh, yet again appreciate like, oh, this is a real passion. This is right. really something that matters. And then I started being like, well, how can I do the animal thing if uh, if I'm still going to be a drummer? Because I can't even volunteer at a local zoo because they require time commitments and they require regular schedules. And yeah, um, sure. I can't I can't do that. And so that's that's where, you know, oh, hey, what if I do this podcast? And that's that's what it's become. It's become the other way. I'm, I get to be um, – all of the fun of, of being a zookeeper with uh, none of the poop. So. <laughs> but yeah, man, if you, if you find your passion, and I don't care what it is, I don't care if you are 
so in love with pumping gas that you go and work at a full station, you know, full service gas station, and you love doing that, then your life is going to be incredible. Even if you smell like gas, even if you get mad at people for smoking at your pumps, whatever it might be, your life is going to be incredible if you can find your passion and then follow it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you have heard it from John Rossi himself. Find your passion and follow it. I think that I have selfishly asked all the questions that I am <laughs> that I'm curious about um and I've had the best time with you. All right. So, y'all know that can't actually be the end of the interview. Um there's something missing. A traditional question that happens in every Rossafari episode. And so now it is my duty to bring you my very own Rossafari poop story. I've already told my best zoo poop story on the podcast about the day when I helped Elmwood Park Zoo clean up after a flood and went home covered in at least four types of animal poop. However, I do have another fun story. One of the institutions I have a great relationship with had a snake that died, and they needed to use an external pathology lab to figure out what had happened. It just so happened to be a lab that Zoe was going to be at the next day for vet school-related stuff, so she offered to take the sample with her, but was also busy at the time of the asking, so asked me to go pick the sample up, in exchange for which I could hang out at the zoo for a while, despite the fact that the zoo was closed. I happily obliged, and because this was before I had interviewed Dr. Natalie Taco and learned how all this works, I assumed I would be going to pick up some slides. Instead, I walked in and was handed a jar filled with pieces of dead snake floating in formalin. Cool. I wasn't bothered by this, I just wasn't expecting it, and frankly I'd been looking forward to hanging out at the zoo. But then I thought, well, why not? So I proceeded to hang out at the zoo for a few hours, walking around and taking pictures, all with chunks of dead snake sitting in my pocket. It's not the grossest poop story, but I think it's pretty illustrative of just how weird my life has become since entering this amazing world. Not gonna lie, that one was a little strange for me. Not in a bad way, just going out of my comfort zone a little bit. But hey, guess what? As a podcast host, I ask people to go out of their comfort zones all the time. I feel like a lot of the people that I've interviewed have never had a microphone shoved in their face before, and they do it for me and for you, the listening audience. So, uh, you know, not too bad to, to switch the role for a minute there. Uh, thank you, Taylor, uh, so much for doing the interview. That was really cool. And you can check Taylor out on Instagram at ZooGirlTay. And of course, you can check out the guest today, John Rossi, on Instagram at Rossafari. Um, he can also be reached by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. And uh, he wanted me to remind you all to make sure that you uh, are subscribed to the Rossafari podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure that you're following him on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari. Goodness, I really am such a nerd. Oy. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. 
You can find Rasafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rasafari, on the web at Rasafari.com, or email me directly at rasafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.